In the name of Jesus, amen. The Word became flesh, and the church has turned the flesh back into words. That was the New Testament exegete N.T. Wright, and he wrote this in his 1997 book, The Crown and the Fire. And when he was writing this, he was taking his cue from the Gospel of John, but the message is familiar throughout all of the scriptures. We hear it in the prophets, in Jesus, and in our text today, the epistle of James. It's a warning, a warning against approaching the Christian faith merely as a set of propositions to be held, to be debated, to be promulgated. The church's message, what we have been given to share with the world, is not an idea. It is not a set of compelling moral or metaphysical theories. It is not a word of good advice. It is not a word of wisdom, nor a word of encouragement. It is an enfleshed word, incarnate word. We call this message news, because the front page doesn't print stories about rarefied doctrines or philosophical principles, but things that have happened in flesh and blood reality. And the gospel is nothing if it is not the good news that something has happened in flesh and blood reality and continues to happen in the very alive, very present word who is our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were at the opening service, you would have heard President Meyer spend some time preaching on this theme. If I remember correctly, he said that we're not a bunch of Gnostics. He said our theology is incarnational. So also today, James will not allow faith to be separated from the incarnation. What kind of faith is it? that does not descend into flesh and show itself in works. Certainly not a faith that holds to Jesus Christ. Or to use Luther's distinction, the faith that saves is not a sensus, mere intellectual assent, but fiducia, trust, a living, daring confidence in God's grace, says Luther. It is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith, doing good works incessantly, as his preface to the Romans goes. It is belief in God's promise, and that's no abstract thing. It's belief in God's yes when faced with a million no's. It's belief in God's protecting hand when enemies threaten to destroy. It's belief in God's life when surrounded by death. This is sweat and blood faith, a sweating great drops of blood faith. As Christ took up our humanity, not symbolically or docetically, but historically, with all of life's day-to-day troubles and needs and hopes, so also faith in this Christ 
is thrust into this world, into the daily hurts and needs of our neighbor. This is perhaps why James directs us to something so simple, so down to earth as caring for and honoring the poor. The church in the New Testament saw this connection quite clearly. They sold their property in order to provide for those who were in need. They cared for the widows. There's Paul's continual collection of gifts from the Gentile churches for poor relief in Jerusalem. Now, this is not to embrace some kind of socioeconomic liberation theology or to preach a prosperity gospel. I don't know if you've seen this, the brand new Time magazine has a picture on the front of a Rolls Royce with a cross for the hood ornament, and the title says, Does God Want You to Be Rich? And the article goes on to talk about Joel Osteen's four million selling book, Your Best Life Now, and then the Lutheran pastor in Pennsylvania who used the book for the basis of a Lenten sermon series, And then such deeply profound insights from the likes of Joyce Meyer, who remarked, I believe God wants to give us nice things. Perhaps he does, but that's not the point. He has given us his son. His son, who was anointed as the Christ. As he read in his hometown in the synagogue, he was anointed to preach good news to the poor who, as Paul says, became poor for us, that by his poverty we might become rich. And his first words in his ministry were, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And James practically quotes this in this text. The messianic mission and the state of the poor are so closely bound that Scripture speaks of them in such a way that they embody an entire world. That needs God. God has chosen the poor, James says. For it is they who need him in the same way as only the sick need a doctor. Or only the blind need to receive sight. Or only the sinner needs forgiveness. God has come to fill the empty, to lift up the lowly, to give an inheritance to those who possess nothing before him. And so the poor in their poverty reflect the true condition of all of humanity. And God's identification with the poor in Christ reveals to us his longing to satisfy the desire of every living thing. I am the Lord your God, he declares in the Psalms. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. And so we too have been called out from such poverty, not with gold or silver, but by Christ's flesh and blood, crucified and resurrected. And by faith we are now part of that flesh-and-blood reality, a reality that enjoys the riches of Christ that has been given to us by his grace to overflowing and that brings them to those that are still in need. They cannot be separated. And we don't need to search long and hard 
We don't need to go far, for we are surrounded by the poor, those people who in so many ways need to be filled with God's love. The need before us is broad and it is comprehensive. From daily bread to the bread of life. Pray that God continue to grant us such faith that rests in his promises and that works in his love. Amen.